introverted noise. Hurry up, Daddy. Alright, we are back with another episode of the Pocket Protectors Podcast. I am your host, Jason Brown. You can find me on Twitter at BrownJason. Join once again with my partners in crime, two of the smartest people on all of the internet, Dr. Eric Eager, my man. How you doing? How you been? I'm doing well, man. I'm watching some baseball for once. Uh... In, in, looking forward to the game tomorrow. I think it'll be maybe a little closer than people think. Um, but uh, you can never go wrong when you know you got Kirk Cousins in prime time. <laughs> what what is this baseball of which you speak? I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I don't even like who's playing. What's going on? Where are they in the baseball season? Yeah, it's really remarkable that I'm watching. But like, it's the second game of the World Series. So oh, like, okay, it's, yeah. Uh, otherwise. Uh, I I generally wouldn't be caught dead watching a uh, an actual like you know regular season game. All right, so like the the kickoff of the basketball season isn't doing it for you. Well, yeah, not yet. I mean, not yet. Not yet. I don't know as much about the NBA as the WNBA. Weirdly, so I don't I don't tune in as much. <laughs> <laughs> you you need to train your WNBA model to to get in there on this NBA action, so you can uh, you can lock in for the eighty two game season. I think I'm a little late to that party. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, my man, how you doing? How you been? You, uh, you you watching baseball, gambling on any sports, or uh, just you know kick, kicking with, with the, the wholesome activities as per usual? Nah, I mean, this is a great part of the year because we got all four major sports rocking and rolling. We got the World Series. We got NBA starting. Hockey is in full gear already. And we got Vikings coming up on Thursday night football. So just, I love this part of the year. All right, well, let's get right to it. You mentioned it. We have a game. And uh, and listeners, if you're looking for, uh, you know, Eric and, and, and Nick's feelings about, you know, how the team is playing, recent things like that, we just dropped a video roundtable where you can get a lot of those things. So just the last episode on the feed, hop over there, go to YouTube. You can find it on Facebook. All of the those first places. First time I ever talked to Flip Mozzie who is a delightful person. It's true. It's true. Very though, different interaction even, than uh, the back and forth. Even though he and I have Twitter. argued online for the years. Uh, <laughs> he's a delightful guy. It was, it was great. Yeah, it was fun. Bringing people together. Bringing folks together. So let's talk about it. Bringing people back. Bringing people together. We got Adrian Peterson, Case Keenum, coming back to uh, play a football game. Their team isn't very good, but uh, we're going to try to get into it, break down some of these X and O's just a little bit. So... Nick, I saw that you posted earlier today some of the uh, PFF matchup grades for this game. As you were going through and, and pulling that data and looking at things as you compare these two teams, what should we be looking for as we uh, as we go into this game in which the Vikings are favored in a very, very big way? Yeah, um, you know, it's easy to underestimate this team. I think if you look at their record, you know, they only won one game They're bottom five by DVOA. I think they're bottom five by PFF ELO. 
basically they're not good in um, a lot of different metrics. Case Keenum is not doing well. He doesn't really have a good supporting cast around him. Jay Gruden is out. I personally think Jay Gruden is one of the better offensive play callers, maybe not top tier, but you look at what he's worked with um, those years in Washington, and he's he's uh, made a lot of uh, not very talented offensive personnel groupings look pretty talented. Um, so not even considering all the injuries he's put up with. So Jay Gruden's out. They got um, Callahan in, who just wants to run the ball. Um, I think on a short schedule, uh, uh, Zimmer is going to be able to leverage his his coaching advantages even more than normal. But they do have, um, you look at the the talent they have throughout the, the the roster, and they do have some talented players, even if they aren't necessarily playing like it. Some some names we know, like Josh Norman, although not sure he's going to be able to go. He, I think he only had he he was held out of practice for all but one practice, maybe yesterday where it was limited. But so we'll see if he goes, but. Um, Quentin Dunbar is having a really excellent season. Um, he's making plays all over the backfield and in, um, in coverage. He's kind of, I think he might be leading the NFL in interceptions, or if not, he's close, or interceptions plus pass breakups. So he's making a lot of plays on balls. Um, he's playing well. And then Terry McLaurin is uh, one of the top Rookie of the Year candidates, and he looks really good. I don't know uh, what happened with his draft profile because I, I watched his tape and and thought, wow, this guy's got pretty good routes. He's got good speed. He's got physicality. He can uh, attack the ball midair and he's got a good catch radius, and, um, a good contested catch receiver, uh, good in the red zone. And then I looked at his scouting report and I guess he, he wasn't exactly that in college, but maybe he started to flash at the senior bowl and came on. So um, they have one talented receiver and they have Dunbar having a good season. And we'll see if, uh, if Josh Norman goes, obviously he's not playing as well as he did in his all pro days, but you know, the rest of the cast, Case Keenum, Adrian Peterson, below average offensive line. They got Eric Flowers in it at guard um, and a pair of tackles that Griffin and Hunter should probably get the better of. So um, this this is I don't want to say I don't want to guarantee anything because I think there's probably like still a five, 10 percent chance that the Vikings don't come away here with a win. But at home uh, on a short week where. Uh, the Vikings, we know the Vikings at this point are, are a fairly good team. They've got a good scheme. They're pretty talented. They're definitely more talented on both ends um, than this Redskins team. I think it should be uh, hopefully pretty entertaining. So that's my take. All right. I like that. And, and Eric, from your perspective, maybe before we get to it, this is going to catch you off guard, I am sure. But how did PFF feel about McLaren coming in? Because like Nick said, like people were kind of all over the place on him. Like his athletic profile was off the charts. He had... You know, great college uh, yards per reception. But he didn't really get a lot of the ball, so I know some people were maybe a little bit more lukewarm on him than, I guess, maybe some of the tape grinders. I don't know. But it seemed like they were all over the place in terms of people from tape either loved him or hated him. Analytics people either loved him or hated him. How did PFF feel about him going into the draft? Yeah, we had him as our 68th player on the final big board. He was oh. taken... Let me look at... Uh, I actually don't know exactly where he was taken. Somewhere um, in the third round, I think. So let me look at... He was pick, um, uh, the third round, pick 12. So 64 plus 12. So set, so we were kind of... We were a little higher on him than he ended up going. Um, you know, I'm just reading it right now. McLaurin's production doesn't tell the whole story as he was part of a loaded Ohio State receiving core. Um, but he put on a show at the Senior Bowl. So a good, you know, good... Uh, I know Jim Nagy gets a lot of flack for saying some dumb things on Twitter, but a cool <laughs> senior bowl thing there for him. Um, 
we um when we looked at war i hadn't done the war numbers this week but going into last week he was a top five receiver in terms of generating um value uh so that's a pretty good sign for him especially in an offense where as you guys have talked about you know they have donald penn starting a left tackle they have eric flower starting a guard uh you know um Jordan Reed didn't play a snap this year. Vernon Davis has been injured at times. Um, and at least the last two weeks, they've been really focused on the run game with former Nebraska head coach Bill Callahan at the helm. So, uh, you know, he's been great. I think, you know, he can, he's somebody you can certainly build off of. I think Case Keenum does a really good job uh, at times of giving receivers a chance to make plays. Uh, he did that in Minnesota in 2017. So, uh, he's a guy that the Vikings certainly have to worry about, um, especially if I think if Keenum th- sort of throws caution to the wind and maybe he draws pass interference penalties on roads and things like that, like he might be an issue. Um, but yeah, he you know he's a he's a good building block for them and they need it because Alex Smith's contract is a really debilitating for them. Obviously, Trent Williams is an issue and. Uh, you know, one of the more mismanaged teams in the entire league. <laughs> that might be the understatement of, uh, of this podcast history right here. Right. I mean, <laughs> there's there's really no, I mean, there are, you know, there are countless. And and frankly, like, I, I, I agree with Nick to some degree. I think he fell off a little bit in the last few years. But, you know, I think Jay Gruden's going to make a good offensive coordinator in the NFL next season. Um you know, it was just too much to overcome, right? I mean, Alex Smith is a nice quarterback, but they gave up their best corner to to get him uh, and paid him through the through the wall, you know. So, and then he can't play. They were six and two last year with him as a starter, uh, you know. So there there's a combination of bad, you know, when you put uh, bad luck and mismanagement together, mm. this is what you get. Mm-hmm. All right, well, uh, bad luck and mismanagement together, this is what you get. Ugh. Bleak picture of things, uh, especially if you're uh, on the Redskins <laughs> side of this thing. Uh, Nick, if you were coming at this and trying to come up with a way that the, the, the Skins could potentially win this game, pull the upset, what might it look like? I think... Th- in a lot of ways, attacking this defense look will look kind of like what they wanted to do with the Lions, where the linebackers were significantly worse, in my opinion, than the defensive line. And that defensive line is, maybe they're not necessarily grading like one of the best defensive lines, or they have the stats of one of the best defensive lines, but they certainly don't lack, um, you know, they, they've invested in that, in that defensive line the way Zimmer's de- invested in his secondary. Just lots of first-rounders along that line, lots of guys who are starting to flash. So. Um, you, I think um, I think more in the in the run game, but in any case, I think those linebackers are people you can attack either with Dalvin Cook um, through holes with the wide zone or with the play action. It kind of uh, either way is gonna is gonna draw them up and gonna be able to create plays on offense. Um, and we'll see what they do with Dunbar if he ends up shadowing Diggs with Thielen out. That'll probably create opportunities for Irv Smith down the field in the seams or Olabisi Johnson, who are both starting to come on, which is good to see. Um, in terms of stopping Washington, you know, we know they, they keyed in on, on the run and the Vikings have been very good against the run, probably even better than their stats show, just because I think Shamar Stefan and Linval Joseph right now aren't getting enough credit for how much they're they're creating. I think a lot of Eric Kendrick, I mean, Eric Kendrick is playing out of his mind, like maybe the best linebacker in football, um, which sounds hyperbolic, but really he's playing like maybe the best linebacker in football. But a lot of it is also 
you know, Shamar Steph and Limbaugh Joseph are taking on two guys each, and that just clears up an empty lane for Kendricks to shoot through and get a tackle for a loss. So in terms of stopping Adrian Peterson, you know, he's such a downhill, um, hard, fast runner. He hits the holes fast, sometimes too fast. So you got to be um, smart. you got to be able to to, to take on um, a lot of, a lot of uh, power at the point of attack. But I think this is a team that's equipped to do that. And then in terms of Terry McLaurin, he's kind of, Right now, with the injuries they have and and the situation there, and he's he's really the only one who worries me. So probably approach it maybe the way they did with the Falcons, where Rhodes is on McLaurin and he'll have safety help over the top if they need it. And if you have him sort of bracketed or maybe not bracketed, but with the safety shaded towards him, then uh, I'm I'm pretty confident in you know Wayne's against Paul Richardson or whoever it is. So that's probably at a you know five thousand foot level what I would generally expect seeing to see to going into this game. And just uh, just because you mentioned it, I guess given uh, McLaurin's you know straight line speed, uh, why, why Rhodes versus Wayne's uh, in that matchup? Yeah, that's actually that's an interesting question. I just think Rhodes is a better cornerback right now than than Trey Wayne's is playing right now. I know his grades don't necessarily suggest it, but Zimmer's the the the, the pro football. I, I love PFF grades, but I think with especially with Zimmer's corners, you know they. Zimmer will only ask a corner to do so much as they're capable of. So, you know, Holton Hill will grade out very well in coverage, but, you know, he's kind of a cover two corner. They're giving him a safety help over the top. They're giving up a linebacker buzzing to the flat underneath him. So it's very little. um, He's asked so little to do, whereas Rhodes, particularly when, you know, he's we're seeing Rhodes shadow less because I think we are seeing him start to drop off um, a, a decent amount. But the things Zimmer asked of Rhodes in like 2017 and even last year was like, okay, you're on an island and we're shading the safeties away from you and good luck. It's it's kind of like it's cover zero for you and then cover two for everyone else. So um, and he just asked, gets asked to do a lot. But I think Rhodes right now isn't playing confident and he isn't trusting his technique and it's leading to mistakes. Um, but he's really he's still a very good cornerback uh, when he trusts his technique. And I think when he has safety help over the top, he can still be shut down. I mean, that's what happened in the Falcons game was Rhodes was shadowing Julio, who, in my opinion, is probably the best wide receiver in football. And he did have, you know, a lot of Harrison Smith over the top. But Rhodes one on one versus Julio and and Julio didn't have a catch all game. And Rhodes played really well. So um, that's kind of that gives me a little more confidence. I think Wayne's has the potential to either get bodied at the top of his route, which is something McLaurin does really well, or. you know, he'll get out of position or he'll lose leverage. And when, when Waynes has to speed turn, he's just not as quick to close onto, you know, the passing window on, say, like a deep dig or something. That's something we've seen Waynes get picked on uh, this season. So I just have a little more confidence in Rhodes. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. And so, Eric, if we're looking at this, uh, what are the bet- betting market stakes? I know when this line initially opened, there was a lot of conversation around how big this was. And then people obviously immediately started to think about Buffalo last year. And, oh, my God, we had that huge line against Buffalo and they came out and embarrassed us. What uh, did the line open at? Where is it now? And where is the sharp money going uh, as, as we get things ready for, for the game tomorrow? Well, there's certainly been appetite for the Vikings. Now, the question is, um, I have to look actually where it started, but I think it was more like 14 and a half. Um, right now, you can see it at 16 and a half. So there's certainly um, appetite for Minnesota. The thing is, is though, you know, 14 is a key number, 17 is a key number, the numbers between those are are more fungible just because not that many games land on 15 and 16. So, um, but there is, you know, this number has moved in Minnesota's direction. There's a few things, and Nick mentioned this. Um, Thursday night football doesn't favor the home team. 
it favors the favored team. <laughs> and what I mean is like <laughs> the better coach and the better quarterback tend to be worth, I think, you know, I've you know, worked it out. It's about a point. Um, so, you know, when we looked huh. at last, last, last week in Kansas city versus Denver, the, it was the better coach and quarterback. Uh, and even though, you know, the sharp side was Denver, um, we actually were, we were, you know, sort of ambivalent until it got to three. And then we were sort of on Kansas city side once it got to three, because it's not, you know, a lot of people, it's a misnomer that this idea that it favors the home team, it favors the, the, the coach who can prepare himself in three days. Um, and, and I think folks are looking at Washington and saying, well, this guy hasn't even been the coach for three weeks. And they're looking at Minnesota and thinking, Stefanski's one of the best play callers in the NFL right now offensively, and Zimmer is who he is defensively. So that's like kind of where it's at. So no, I don't think people are overlooking this game. I think, you know, the Buffalo game is always in the back of our mind now. But, you know, uh, ultimately, if you handicapping this game, it always is going to be you know, with Zimmer, Vikings have been great at home, greatest favorites, greatest favorites against non-divisional f- uh, opponents. Uh, and so all those things work in Minnesota's favor. Uh, if I were looking to to bet on this game, I'd probably bet on the over, only because these games end up being a little sloppier. And even though sloppy games, uh, you know, can lead to fewer points, we saw with New England against the Giants a couple weeks ago, they can also lead to turnovers that cause short fields and points. Uh, and I think that that might be the case. You know, Minnesota might score all these points themselves. All right. Yeah, we have seen, I mean, in the in the Vikings, what, five wins this game, their lowest margin of victory is 12 points. So that makes me think, um, and the over isn't, you know, the over under here is what, like 42-ish? 42, yeah, so... I mean, I could I could see Minnesota running things up here, and the offenses look particularly potent lately. And thinking back at home, in the in the dome, um, you know that 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 makes me think Minnesota with the how they're clicking right now, both Cook and and Cousins with the play action explosive passing game. Um, you could see a lot of points what, at least from the Vikings. And a non-trivial so. part of this is also how Washington has operated as well. So last week they scored just enough points to cover, but like you know they the the way that the way that they've operated before is on Monday night football against Chicago they got down 28 nothing and then got 15 points and that game went over the total uh in week 2 against Dallas they got behind i believe by 21 points and came back and backdoored the total so they they've been through touchdowns late by Keenum the reason some of these games have gotten over the total uh during their games this year so even if the Vikings, let's say they get out into like a 35-3 lead, like that thing closes at 35-10, you end up getting home. Uh, and, you know, the only two, I believe it's only been three games of like, well, no, actually, well, the last the last two games, the Vikings have, you know, hit the over pretty easily um, indoors. Uh, and, you know, on the road outdoors, they've been 0-3 uh, against the over. So, you know, a, a lot of those things work in the favor, I think, of Minnesota's game playing a little bit more of the 35-10 variety, uh, you know, 28-17 type of thing, as opposed to, you know, some of the more low-scoring games we saw earlier in the year. Yeah, and so how do you feel about the Vikings just versus the spread? I know you like the over, but how do you feel about the spread on this one? Uh, well, it's like, it's just really hard to lay a lot that many points in the NFL against... I mean, frankly, with unless it, to me, unless it's New England or against Miami, 
I I have a hard time. And even Miami is plucky. They were 17. So just as an illustration, Miami was on the road last week and they were 17 and a half point underdogs to the Bills, who eventually won by double digits but didn't cover the spread. Miami, like all you need is for the for the opponent opposing team to play hard for like two quarters, and it's super difficult to cover that number. Um, so mm-hmm. you know the Vikings could easily cover this. I'm not going to lay any of my money on them uh, to do so, though, just because of the sheer difficulty, uh, you know, of covering such a big number in an NFL game, especially with a low total like that. We talk about the total going over, but you know. Those things are difficult to square in an NFL game. Yeah, and Zimmer, this this helps with the over, but it doesn't help with the cover. As Zimmer is, you know, if he's up in the fourth quarter, he is perfectly fine giving up, you know, prevent defense, garbage time touchdowns to the other team. So, uh, wouldn't be surprised if that if that hurts the uh, the spread as well. well. And and that's the thing is like you just at that point in time the incentives aren't aligned, right? Like you want to, as yeah. a sports better, you want to make bets that you are de- like so so for example last weekend in college football Virginia Tech and UNC got into overtime and if you had Virginia Tech plus three and a half there were half these overtimes where you were praying that North Carolina would just make a field goal and, and beat the team you were rooting for all game right like and, and so in an NFL game it's a similar thing right where you want you want the Vikings to you, if you're a Vikings fan you want them to blow uh, Washington out and get the starters out of the game so they don't get hurt on Thursday night football. But that's the very thing that could make them win by only 14, right? So it's it's a tough it's a tough nut to crack, and why I think a fair amount of people will lay off this game once it's all said and done. All right, and uh, from each of you, I'll go Nick first. Give me a, a surprise player who's going to have a big game. I would say. Oh, that's tough. A surprise player. I mean, on offense, I would probably go with Irv Smith. I think it uh, wouldn't surprise me if he gets his first career touchdown in this game because he's coming on really strongly. Um, I got a little bit of flack on it for Twitter for saying I thought he, um, I really should have said he's playing like one of the better offensive rookies, which he, I think he is. He's playing like uh, just a very complete tight end for somebody. And, uh, you know, but with his stats, he's not in the offensive rookie of the year discussion. But I think this could be a game, given the linebackers, given the matchups, given Thielen's injury, you could really see him come out hot. And then on defense, I would say watch Everson Griffin against Donald Penn because that is just a mismatch. And Penn isn't playing well in Trent Williams' absence. Um, and, and Griffin is playing his best ball of his career. So um, that could be something where Griffin is just feasting all day. All right. Same question to you, Eric, to, to bring us home. Who might we not be thinking of right now who could end up balling out and having a great game tomorrow night? Yeah, it's tough because we, you know, we're so focused on the Vikings that like every player was pretty known to us. But I think a guy like Alexander Madison could have a great game um, just because, you know, Dalvin Cook's one of their best players. You're not going to want to stretch him out as much with just three days rest. Madison has you know he's averaged 4.9 yards a carry he's been tremendous as a backup running back so far you know exceeding expectations by a wide margin i i would say that he probably gets 15 carries in this game uh and if if they play their cards right he could probably get 100 yards on those 15 carries uh you know and 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 help them you know if they get out to a lead here um you know really run this game into the ground so uh to me i think madison on offense and then uh, you know, maybe somebody like Mike Hughes on defense or special teams. I know he's returning punts now that uh, Marcus Sherrills has been 
uh, taken out uh, uh, to pasture here, unfortunately. So uh, those are two players I like. And, and you know, as uh, Spielman continues to draft good players, uh, we start to see some of them shine in prime time. Eric, I have a, I have a, I have a, I have a question. We, we, we talk about, we talk about like how running backs kind of, the meme is running backs don't matter just because uh, the results of a rushing offense usually aren't um, primarily driven by the play of the running back themselves. And year after year, we see elite running backs replaced by their backups this year and the, the Chargers last year with Gurley and um, Anderson. Um, but uh, Dalvin Cook kind of seems like he might be an exception to that mold, at least the way he's playing right now in the run game where, I mean, that last Lions game was a good example because that, that touchdown run he had, he got stuffed and he just like got out of it and, and managed to find extra yards. And there was a few other plays where he just kind of got hit at the line, should have been a tackle for the law for a loss. And then he just broke out yeah. and went for like 15 yards. I'm wondering, um, Madison has really impressed me, but how much of a downgrade in the running game would you think there would be, if any, if say something happened to Delvin Cook or if the Vikings let Delvin Cook walk in free agency because they liked Madison? Yeah, I would say that's a great question because I think, you know, the, so the issue uh, to me, running backs don't matter is an average in space and time. So if you were to look at Dalvin Cook's career, I still don't think he's produced above his draft position just because of time, right? Like he missed 12 games, 14 games in 2017. He missed a a decent amount of time last year. And even when he played, he wasn't as efficient as he is now, right? And I'm guessing that, you know, year five and six creep up. He's not going to be as effective because of the, you know, the outstanding play he's producing now. Um, Whereas if you look at Madison, a guy like that, who's never going to be a workhorse, he might be more effective, you know, later on in his career because he doesn't have the tread on the tires. The defense, the other team's defense is not putting too many men in the box against him, all that kind of stuff. So I would say in this current snapshot of time, you know, there's certainly a, a very good case to be made that Dalvin Cook's a better player than Madison and he offers significant value. You look at his contact balance, you look at his ability to make yards of contact. But I think in time, um, he you know, the he's still not necessarily going to be worth that second contract, or he's not necessarily going to be appreciably better than running back to jour. Um, but right now where he's currently at, you can certainly make a case that he matters. Do you have like a, like I, I know your colleague has the, has the whole um, contract system for his war. Do you have like an estimate of how much cook would be worth in, in like the, on the, on the market in the, in the war system? Well, yeah. So let me, and I, I have to, I have to look up his war. I know he was basic. I mean, he's not, he was a replacement level last few years, but he's probably, you know, uh, yeah, he, he was sort of on that, on that level. I would say, I mean, on the open market, he's going to be worth a little bit less than, than, you know, Zeke and Gurley, you know, some sort of combination of those two's contract. Um, but honestly, like, we only have what now seven games of him being a plus 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 running back. So, um, yeah, I would say if the, the next batch of running back contracts come out, McCaffrey's going to make a lot of money, um, and maybe Kamara's going to make a lot of money, and then would be Cook. Uh, but um, I, I don't have the exact numbers in front. Yeah, that's interesting because we're seeing running backs get paid less and less, and. You see, you're seeing teams kind of get burnt by the contracts they're handing out. Obviously, Todd Gurley with his injuries now, with the tread on the tires, and with um, him being able to be replaced with other guys. And then, um, you know, the Devonta Freeman contract, and there's a few other guys who got, got 
Melvin Gordon, yeah, big contracts you know, and doing more harm than than good. David Johnson, right? <laughs> yeah. Like two two years ago. So like this is I I pushed back against one of my colleagues, Scott Barrett, because he was like, you know, these I know that I know that I know that these two running backs, Camara and, and uh, CMC, matter. And I was like, we were saying the exact same thing about David Johnson two years ago, mm-hmm. right? And then he spends two years basically injured or ineffective. It's just the way that the position works, right? And it so. It's it's again to me it's space and time like you know if if in this particular setting at this particular time this guy might be worth a ton but it's very hard to pinpoint those a priori and say at you know this guy matters right now you know what I mean and like we even I I don't even I can't I didn't even remember that you know our former friend Jarek McKinnon has the seventh highest total value contract for running backs right now so it's like Lamar Miller's ninth. Duke Johnson's 10th market. I mean, you know, like what is Mark Ingram, right? Like Mark Ingram's a good back. He's also 30 in the like the 11th highest paid running back. And he's been anywhere between a stiff and effective in his career. You know, like it's so interesting. So it, it's a great question. I think the Vikings are really going to have to um, make a good decision with him because it could, you know, they got so many, they got so many tough decisions moving forward here with Cousins and, and, and the, the rest of the team. Yeah, I guess one of the questions I had for either one of you who would know off the top of your head, but is Dalvin Cook really even that different this year than he was last year when you look at the things he can control? Because, like, I know that when you look at, like, elusiveness rating on, on PFF or, like, juke rate on, on player profiler, uh, like, for those things, he looks like he's performing pretty much as he did last year for the part of it that, like, is sticky to running backs. His mm-hmm. His surroundings just are better so he's getting more opportunities to showcase the talent that we've always known was there but in terms of like making people miss and stuff it looks just at a surface glance that last year when he didn't look great and this year where people are talking about him as you know the best back in the league and and some people are talking about him as an MVP candidate for the part of it that he can control and that typically does stick to running backs he seems to be doing like the exact same thing almost yeah, I mean he he's averaging a half a yard more after contact. So like there is a little bit more of that like burst, right? When things when he makes people miss, but like yeah, it, it's and he's grading better. But like a lot of these things and this is why football is so tough. A lot of it is opportunity based, right? Like if you don't if you don't get opportunity to be in the open field, you don't get opportunity to make that many yards after contact or that many men miss, right? So um, that's the really tricky thing, but he's been better this year. I think if you just look at at least the metrics that I have in front of me, but it's not like he, he went from being, um, it's not like he went from being like, you know, uh, some stiff, right? Like Barry word to being, you know, Robert Smith in like one, you know, one year, but like it, it, it's, it, but I, to your point, it's, it's, it's often, something else that's causing us to detect how great he is. I, I want to say Cook is actually having, I don't want to say a down year, but I think he was even better in terms of force missed tackles per touch in 2017 and 2018. Maybe that has to do with him being used a little bit more in the passing game under Filippo, and it's a lot, of, it's a little easier to make guys miss when you get a, you know, a, get a quick pass to the flat and, you know, you're one-on-one with a cornerback or something. But um, that's mm-hmm. one thing that you can definitely say is kind of, um, more in the running backs control as opposed to, you know, yards 
uh, per touch or something. Um, but I do think a big part of Cook's career year is just this scheme is so perfectly set up for what Cook does well, his vision, his explosiveness, um, his ability to sort of take a take a run that gets to the second level and make it go for another 5, 10, 15, 20 yards. So um, he's playing really well, but I also think he played really well as a rookie, and you're seeing the same traits that made us excited about him as a rookie year. Uh, as as a as a rookie and as a, as a sophomore this year stand out too. And it's just now the the team is executing their run blocks and they've got a scheme that really fits what he does well. So it's all kind of coming together. And obviously, if we're looking at you know yards uh, per carry after contact, uh, we really should just be giving all the carries to CJ Ham, who <laughs> when I went and sorted it right there, I mean he's he's leading the league in that right now. So and and all the targets. Per- he needs to throw a hissy fit All because, the like, a quarter of his catches have gone for touchdowns. So, can't argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, our most elusive back is, uh, is CJ Ham, and maybe he will be the replacement for Adam Thielen <laughs> as well. <laughs> there it is. Bring back Blazing Game. I'm so excited. No, if they ever boy, call him bring up. him back. What happened to him, Nick? You you loved him so much. <laughs> he's on the practice. I mean, CJ Ham is just like a he he blows he blows dudes up in the run game. He's a lot of fun to watch, um, and. I tweeted this out earlier. The Vikings run the most 21 personnel, so fullback on the field. Um, more than anyone, more than Kyle Shanahan. Is, that's kind of his thing, although Juszczyk got hurt. But in any case, um, they're, they've got like six touchdowns, averaging like nine yards per attempt and, and like a 140 passer rating. And they're averaging like 5.8 yards on the ground or something. Just ridiculous efficiency numbers out of 21 personnel. So um, obviously, that's a lot of that has a lot to do with uh, the play action, but that's also, you know, CJ Ham is doing, doing work in the run game too. So um, he's valuable. All right. There it is. We, uh, we talked about running back some, some, uh, some Redskins. We talked about, you know, the Vikings. We talked about what this upset, I mean, could look like I think that's going to happen. Eric gave you some, uh, some advice to hopefully help you win some money. And we talked a little bit about running backs. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we touched all the bases there. And uh, before we go, Eric, this is dropping on Thursday this week. So are we going to be competing against the forecast? Are we going to have dual Eric podcast coming out on the same day? Well, you know, um, no. You guys come out earlier than we do. This is true. Yeah. Is true. And plus, like, there's so much time in the day. You can listen to both. All right. right? There, that That's what we should do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and... The cool thing about climbing the pocket and PFF to, to, you know, since we're growing our podcast is that there's a podcast for everybody, which is great, right? So, like, you know, you can listen to this one. You can listen to Flip. You can, you know, the Gallahorn guy. Like, same thing with PFF. But, you know, ultimately, uh, you still have 24 hours in a day. So, you can get some subset of all of them. And boom, we, we lock into this podcast for your morning commute. And then at lunch and the way home, you finish up with the forecast and you're good. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what we like. And, and Nick, you still uh, you still putting the pieces together on your, your ode to Stefanski? Yeah, yeah. I figured I would wait until the, after this Thursday night football game, take the, the time I got on the weekend and put it together and make it like a true half season check in. Um, but yeah, it's come together and I'm pretty excited for it. Stuff, good stuff, and let's hope that he doesn't let you down by like calling his worst game of the season on Thursday or something. Because that, because that would just be a kick in the teeth. Let's scrap, but that scrap is that, that is it. <laughs> <laughs> just, just hit pause on it. I'm sure he'll have another good game coming up not too long after that. But that's it, gentlemen. As always, thanks for coming on, listeners. Thank you for sticking with us, and uh, yeah, 
Flip, thanks for giving us your spot this week. And uh, yeah, we will be back talking to you soon. Have a good one.